You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. Kevin Ryan is founder of Malachite Partners, a CPG strategy consulting firm that, because of Kevin's unique background, sits at the intersection of anthropology and food science. From that unique point of view comes Kevin's take on the conventional and alt-meat markets, on their past and their future. In an interview for Alt-Meat, he took me on a deep dive into this space, pointing out the opportunities to tap into the drivers of consumer behavior that the consumers themselves don't even realize are there. You know, I'd like to start first with just sort of one of those questions that interviewees, I think, sometimes really hate. I want to say, tell me a little about about yourself. And and when I say that, you know, I'm so interested in this cross-section of the intersection of food and anthropology. You know, Mm -hmm. from your point of view, why food, why anthropology, And for you, where do those things intersect? My in was food science, actually. That got me into the industry, really interested in food science, but I had a background already in social science. And while one of my first jobs was at General Mills as a food scientist, Mm -hmm. but there they were like, wow, you have this great background in anthropology as well, would you like to go back to school and get your master's in anthropology? And I said, sure. And this was at a time when companies did that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, you can go back for free kind of thing. And so did, I went back um, and then quickly transitioned into really getting into innovation and strategy within the company. So kind of moved the food science away and the anthropology kind of altogether morphed into an innovation and strategy type thing. So uh, ended up leading the innovation and strategy group there. And then that just became the thing. Well, I will say that there are now more anthropologists within just like CPG companies as well as packaged good companies in general. And the reason is, is that you need to be able to understand what's behind the choices that consumers and customers are making. Mm-hmm. And especially within CPG, I find, or within any packaged good, the low-hanging fruit is gone. Mm-hmm. So health tastes convenience. Like that's what really led us for years. And yeah. it's like, well, let's just make another flavor. That was great. That your competitors are done. So CPG, as you know, and a lot of the industry, meat industry, whatever, the competition is so high that you need to get more granular on Mm -hmm. what you're actually delivering. So that's where anthropology comes in, is going deeper, deeper, deeper to get to that, that you can find a differentiation that others, your competitors can't find. That's the thing, is that finding those, if you're familiar with jobs to be done, I don't know if you've ever heard of jobs to be done. It's a very simple concept, but it fits in with anthropology in the sense of it's a very simple concept in the idea that consumers actually don't want your product. They hire your product to do a job for them. And what his classic example is consumers don't want a drill. They actually want a hole (laughs) to hang a picture, right? And however they can hang a picture, 
that's what they're going to hire. So Velcro also will do the job. And now 3M actually has a really good business just having Velcro to hang pictures. But yeah. for years, drill makers thought that this is our thing. When we're looking at the meat case and the alt meat, the meat alt meat dichotomy, which there really kind of isn't one from a, I think yeah. from a consumer point of view, it really isn't an either or, but the people in either industry tend to think of it that way, which is something I want to explore in a little bit. But have you ever had an opportunity to specifically do one of those deep dives into what the job is that either or, or both of those products are doing for the consumer? Yes, I have with both meat as well as other alternatives, so dairy alternatives and things like that as well. I'm sure you probably already know quite a few of them are, you know, in the consumers are, are, that are coming there are the same people that are going to meat. And so a lot of them are eating the flexitarian way, as the people like to call it now. I think some of the jobs, though, that they're having is it's about eating a little bit better. I would say that a lot of the base, speaking of stealing a job, turkey burgers, right? Yeah. Used to be a little bit better in some people's mind. I still want a burger or I still, I want to participate in an event where other people are going to be eating burgers, but I want to eat a little bit better. So I still want to participate. What I mean is I want something in between a bun that has the same condiments that I can feel like I'm participating, but I want to feel better about that. People used to choose turkey burgers. Now they might choose alt meat, right? So that's one potential job to it can solve. It can also just solve the fact of I kind of want to eat more. I like meat. I want to eat meat. I've got this nagging feeling that I shouldn't eat it every day. So this is a way for me to do that. Or another one is my paycheck doesn't allow me to, to eat very high cuts of meat on a regular basis. But the thing that I find really interesting is plant-based or whatever you want to call it, alt meat, has the potential to go further than regular meat can. And I think that's really interesting. How do you mean? If I was a scientist in a cultured meat lab, I could create, just hypothetically, I could create a steak that was laced with blue cheese. Yes. Think about that. Like it has maitre d' butter already injected into it in like Kobe beef in the marbling, yeah. but it's got blue cheese in it. Mind blown, right? You can't do that with a cow. <laughs> you could see people going there if the differentiation was needed from a flavor perspective, a texture perspective, a stability perspective. So I think I mentioned it in the newsletter too about freeze-thaw stability within a frozen application. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be interesting. Canned soup would have alt meat, would maybe better with alt meat if it has already been produced to withstand retort. Can't do that with regular meat. I mean, you choose it, but it's it's, it becomes down to, you know, how it's processed and it becomes more complicated. What happens if you just did it in the ingredient? When you're looking at, and I'm going to say food, but when you're looking at these anthropological takes on life, yeah. how much of it is historical and how much of it is predictive? It's actually quite a lot historical. I forget who said it. I think it's Mark Twain that said history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. Yeah. That is true. That is true. When we do projects... The first thing we do is we go and look to see what other people have learned prior to us. And that could be last year, that could be 
50 years ago about understanding how consumers or people think about a particular topic. For everything from snacking to whatever, there is something that someone has done that has spent a long time learning about that's still applicable today. So a lot of the upfront learning is that, is about really understanding how patterns and how people are thinking and all that stuff. Because humans, we love to believe that we're very different than our ancestors, or even from our parents or grandparents, that we're very similar. But then there are nuanced differences. So the fact that so many of what we think are current, new, hot trends are really echoes of, of our history as human beings, that doesn't... Yeah. I'm not a big fan of trends. I'll come out and be bold about that. Trends to me are like flowers. They're pretty, but they can die very quickly. Instead, I like to think about the soil. Because if you understand the soil, you understand what flowers grow in it. And so I go out of my way to not be distracted by the flowers, even though they're pretty, you know, even though Halo Top ice cream is, you know, dominating the market or whatever, that's a flower. That's one blip, right? What does it mean? That's the soil. Why did Halo Top become popular, right? Why did that become popular? Or in the meat perspective, why did meat snacks, which used to be a pretty niche, you know, something you'd get in a C-store, right? That it was become the massive thing. Well, we know why, right? It's like it was the rise of low-carb, paleo, keto type things. That's the soil. When we first started seeing little blips of this, little flowers of those things popping up, we went back to the soil and said, okay, what's going on? That's what I mean is like, we can't be distracted by the trends. We have to go back and understand what's driving them. What's driving alt meat and meat, both either of those? Yeah, there's quite a few things, I think. One is, again, I go back to this idea of wanting to feel better about what you currently do. I don't want to change as a consumer. I don't want to change. I just want to do what I'd like to do, but I like to feel a little bit better for it. The other thing I would say, at least on the plant-based ones, plants are one of the few ingredients, few products that actually can do no wrong. It's the reason why Weight Watchers makes them zero points is that there is a purity to vegetables. No one ever says, you should probably not eat so many vegetables. So you put that together and it's like, wow, this actually is made of plants. So, so vegetables, I'm getting my vegetables and I'm able to eat a burger. That is a huge driver. So that idea of pulling, pushing those together. So when we're looking at what consumers are trying to address or the job that they want. There's tons. I mean, number one, I mean, just meat fits into the family recipes of things that I've always eaten. Right. So it's like mom's pork chops or whatever. That's a job. I mean, it's like I want to relive that aspect of it. Meat also has a, a, if you think about historical aspect of it, you make it in the world when you can eat more meat. Every culture that has actually gone up always eats more meat. Even during a recession, folks will go out of their way to eat some type of meat. Maybe cheaper cuts of meat, all that kind of stuff. But there's something to be said about, I may not be able to have anything, but at least I can have a steak or at least I can have a steak once a week or whatever it may be. So there's something to that. So that's another job. And then, of course, there's just the jobs of it's tasty, simple protein that I know that it fills my family up and that they like it. Of course, there's dozens more, but those are just a few. In the newsletter, you were specifically in a recent entry, you had written about four generations of plant-based foods. First generation was, you know, from thousands of years ago. It's just that actually just eating of 
plant-based type foods. And that could include everything from just like the dolls that you see in India to soybean that had been mixed with magnesium chloride to make tofu. That had been around for a long time. And then you get into more of a second generation, which was more of the manipulation of those type of products to make something a little bit more manufactured. So you get start getting into you know, the idea of tofurkey like we have now. So it's the idea of changing it up to make it look a little bit more like meat or just make it a little bit more interesting. The third generation is what we're in now, I believe, which is where Beyond Meat and Impossible, it's using technology and potentially even using cell culture, at least the, the most simple version of cell culturing that we have now in fermentation to produce something that is just like meat or as close to meat as possible. So the similar texture, similar taste, all that kind of stuff. That's third generation. I think that with some of the new technology that's coming out, we're starting to see the fourth generation. And the fourth generation is beyond, again, sorry to use the term, but beyond. Can't get away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't go down. Beyond what meat can produce. So it's the idea, as we were talking about before, is producing meat that has the taste, texture, stability, characteristics that are very difficult for real meat to produce. And that is being pushed, in my opinion, by the need for differentiation as all. And again, it goes back to, I'm not even, I mean, I'm sure that the folks at these companies, all these companies are thinking about it, but it's the way of most packaged goods is this desire to differentiate. I have to look different. Why Why choose you on the shelf versus your competitor? I choose you because you offer something. We used to always say, why is it different? Why is it better? Like That's the first thing I always think of when I'm like, tell me about your brand. Why is it different? Why is it better? Well, if you look at Alt-Meat right now, it's only different and better because it's novel, because it offers some potential health characteristics, right? And potential sustainability characteristics. You're seeing competition from the meat side pushing up against that. Actually, grass-fed meat is better for you from a health perspective, some people say. Also, there are some meat companies out there right now saying our carbon footprint is actually lower than yours, or we are almost carbon negative because of that, or at least neutral. So you're seeing push, push, push. The differentiation, the way the zig to the zag, I guess, basically, to your point, is how do we differentiate? How can we go somewhere that meat can't go? And that's what I think the fourth generation will be, is going into. Now, it's tricky space. It's tricky space. And it's a tricky space because, and it's something that alt meat has, an alt, you know, alternative protein in general has been dealing with for a while. And it is this technology aspect. How do consumers feel comfortable with processed? Because these are very processed products, right? My opinion is, is that the way that Impossible and Beyond and all these other companies that have really done quite well is their purpose is what allows them to be alt and be acceptable. I think Certain categories, uh, you, you talk about all meat, but certain categories like, you know, dairy or whatever like that, cheese and all this stuff, they all have 
different slopes of improvement. I think Alt-Meet has probably made one of the greatest strides. I think some of them are quite, it's not just convincing in the taste perspective, it's convincing in many aspects, the cooking, the look, everything. Like they have not just done it on, okay, once it's in your mouth, you know, they actually understand the presentation aspect of it. And also the idea that it has to melt in the paint, you know, that fat has to melt in a particular way. That is very smart of them to do because it has to look meat-like coming from, like people don't want to change. I think that's probably one of the themes here of this is that people don't want to change. They want to buy meat in the meat case. They want it to look like meat. They don't want to change their recipes, fit something different. They want everything to be the same and they want it to not know the difference. So I think alt meats have gotten very close to that and probably will improve even more. I think the hindrance right now is they're almost all based on ground meat. And when cultured and fermentation comes along, and it's going to be a bit, but when they come to textured meats that actually is allowed to do like steaks and whole chicken breast, that'll be very different. Be interesting. Kevin had much more to say about the jobs that alt meat does for consumers and the challenges that he sees on the road ahead. We couldn't include all of his comments here, but you can read more from Kevin on our website at alt-meat.net. Kevin also will be featured in the April issue of our sister publication, Meeting Place. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media, or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.